So it's really good to see everybody. I want to thank y'all for all being a part of the group today. And uh, we're going to get jump right back into our study uh, of the life of Christ, also known as a harmony of the Gospels. A harmony of the Gospels. Um, what are the Gospels? Who remembers what the Gospels are? There are four of them. Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The entire scriptures is gospel. The word gospel means good news, right? But the gospel of Matthew, the gospel of Mark, the gospel of Luke, and the gospel of John um, are the gospels that tell us about the life of Christ. Now, in the book of Acts, about the first chapter of the book of Acts, you do still, it's right before Christ ascended into heaven, you do get a little bit of the, the end of his earthly ministry. But what we've been doing for, I don't know, maybe about a year and a half now, is we've been going through the life of Christ, and we've been studying a harmony of the gospels, which means that we've been going from Matthew, a certain verse in Matthew, a certain chapter in Matthew, over to a certain chapter in Luke, and both of those give the same story. It's just from a different point of view or a different angle. And so, uh, for I guess for a good while there, um, we talked about the Sermon on the Mount. We talked about the Sermon on the Mount, and we talked about how Jesus um, was preaching about the kingdom of God. Y'all remember the kingdom of God? And what did we say? Who remembers that? That's a very important term, the kingdom of God. What is a kingdom? Do y'all remember what we said a kingdom was? Who remembers that? What is controlled domain. A domain. The king's domain. That's where kingdom comes from. The king's domain. And it's all of that area that the king rules and reigns over, right? And who is the king? Christ. Jesus is king. That's right. right. And, and where is he right now? Where is Jesus right now? The right hand of God. Yep, he's sitting at the right hand of his Father in heaven and waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool, right? And so basically he came down to this earth and he claimed his kingdom by dying on the cross. And now through the work of the Holy Spirit, who the Father and the Son sent down here to the earth, now that kingdom is being established before our very eyes. And when you look at the world around you, it almost doesn't look like that God is in control, does it? You would be like, how in the world could this be the kingdom of God? Right? Yeah, but because if he really is ruling and reigning, then why is the devil still running around? Well, the reality is is that the kingdom is now, but the kingdom is also not yet. What does that mean? There's going to be a final fruition and expression of the kingdom at the end after judgment day remember the last three weeks we talked about judgment day well after the judgment comes the new heavens and the new earth and then jesus will not only be ruling and reign spiritually but ruling and reigning physically as well we'll all have new bodies and the world will run according to the will of god right Without the hindrance of evil, without the hindrance of sin, without the hindrance of the devil, the world will be what it was supposed to be when he gave it to Adam and Eve. We'll inherit that paradise again that we lost through our rebellion. Makes sense to everybody? So um, when we taught, Jesus taught, preached the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount and saying, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. And if you are a member of the kingdom, this is the way that you live your life, right? If the kingdom is within you, then the kingdom is going to come what? Out of you. If the Holy Spirit has changed your heart and the Holy Spirit has filled you, then your life is going to be an expression of that and you are going to live according to the desires of your Father who art in heaven, right? His kingdom come, His will be done. 
And what is His will? For you to lift up His Son for all the world to see. For you to be a light and salt on the earth. And so as we went through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was teaching His disciples and those who were listening to Him, this is what the kingdom looks like. This is how you act if you are a member of the kingdom. And remember some of the things that He He, he brought up when He was talking about the kingdom. Um, when, he, when He did the Sermon on the Mount, He was talking about... Uh, Things like the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. And he talked about how we are salt and light. He talked about the law. He talked about anger and lust and divorce and vows and retaliation and how we're to love our enemies and to give to the needy and how we're to pray and to fast. And uh, he taught us about money and he taught us about our worry and he taught us about criticizing others. He taught us about praying, about how we ask and seek and knock. He taught us about the way to heaven. And uh, he taught us about having a fruitful life. He taught us about building our lives on the rock, the foundation, Jesus Christ, the truth. And that when the world shatters around us, that we will still stand with Christ. And so all through that Sermon on the Mount, he was teaching us, this is what the kingdom of God is. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. And this is who you are if you live in the kingdom. This is the way that you will live your life. And so we finished all of that up. And then to finish that, we summed up with Jesus saying, there's many on that final day that are going to say to me, Lord, Lord. And he's going to say, what? Depart from me, I never knew you. They Outwardly, externally, they looked like they were a part of the kingdom, but internally they actually weren't. And so today what we're going to do is now Jesus is going to start uh, fulfilling some of the kingdom promises um and so how do we know that jesus is who he says he is what what are some of the ways that we can know jesus is who he says he is anybody want to help with that through his death on the cross okay through his death on the cross he came to die and to save a people good and what, what else there's his resurrection so yes exactly right he he proved that he who he was who he said he was because he said if you tear down this temple in three days i'll what I'll raise it back up again, and he did exactly what he did. So how do we know Jesus is who he says he is? Well, Jesus always tells us the truth. Jesus fulfills the law. Jesus never broke the law. Jesus never sinned. And Jesus went around doing kind and good things for people. Jesus taught about the kingdom. And uh, one of the major proofs that we know Jesus is who he says he is is by the fact of the miracles that he did. So one of the ways that the people can tell that the kingdom is being established is through these supernatural acts that are taking place that just don't make any sense. They're they're out of the ordinary. They're extraordinary. And so today we're going to look at at one of those miracles. If you'll take um, your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 8. And as you're turning to Matthew chapter 8, what we'll do is we'll open up with a word of prayer, okay? Matthew chapter 8. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and this time to come together and to study your truth. Your word is truth. And you know every man and woman in this room, and there is not a single one of us in here, including myself, that do not have struggles, that do not have doubts and fears and trepidations, that do not have anxiety and worries. But Lord, we look to you for hope, and we look to you for truth, and we look to you for stability and assurance in a world that simply cannot give it to us. And my prayer is today as we study your word and focus on your son, Jesus Christ, that you will open our hearts and our minds and our lives to your truth. Help us to receive that truth and to believe that truth and walk in that truth. In Christ's name we pray. 
Amen. All right, so let's look together in Matthew chapter 8. And we're going to read, I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 13. And then we're going to harmonize that by turning over to the book of Luke and seeing Luke's account of the same story. Remember, we're talking about the harmony of the gospel. So each of these guys, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are all going to tell the stories. And then they're all going to have their different points and their different angles and things that they bring out in it. So let's look at Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 um, through uh, 13. It says, When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. Now, what have we just got finished talking about? What have we been studying for the last six months? The Sermon on the the mount, right? And now it says that Jesus is doing what? He's coming down off the mountain. He's finished the sermon, and now he's going to come down and put that sermon into shoe leather, right? What do I mean when I say that? He's going to put that sermon into shoe leather. Is it works? He, and he's going to walk out what he's been preaching, right? It's one thing to preach something. It's another thing to do what you preach. Walk the talk. Good. So he's going to come down off the mountain, and a large crowd followed him. Um, in the past, we've talked about these large crowds following Jesus. Why were some of the people following Jesus? Do you all remember some of the different reasons why people followed Jesus? Some of them was following him because they wanted to murder him. Good. Some of them hated him and were looking for him to slip up and say something that would give them, them rule or reason to hurt him, right? No doubt. Throw him in jail, incarcerate him, kill him, right, to betray him. So there was an enemy crowd following him, looking for him to slip up. Good. All right. Who else was following him? People that believed in his miracles. Okay. The people that believed in his miracles, um, they saw these mighty miracles taking place, and this was something they had never seen before, right? So uh, maybe somebody, some of them were just following because of the novelty that this was a new guy in town. Like we were just talking before the class started about the fair and how everybody goes out to the fair in the fall, right? There's always something to see at the fair, a sideshow or something crazy going on on one of the rides. And so everybody goes to the fair just to see something. Well, there was a lot of people that were following Jesus just because he was the latest and greatest attraction, something that everybody was talking about. There was another group of people calling him that were under his discipline. What do we call those people that were under his disciples? disciples. Good. So there was actually people that were truly heartfelt believers that were following him, and he was raising them up in the in the kingdom ways, right? So we, we had true followers. We had disciples. We had enemies following him. We had people that were there just for the novelty. And, and so there was many people following him, large crowds following him, and a leper came to him and bowed down. Now, is a leper, is that a lion, uh, is that like a cat, a leper? Is that a cat? No, that's somebody with leprosy. No, that's somebody with leprosy. You got on a leper spot shirt today, right? But that's not a leper, that's a leopard, right? That's a leopard. And so what is a what is a leper? Uh, a, uh, the, the term for leprosy was, um, there was many and various skin diseases that were going on back in that day. Um, in our modern times, leprosy is known as Hansen's disease, right? And there are still actually leprosy colonies all over the world now. There's one in Louisiana for people who have leprosy. It's a highly contagious skin disease that you can pass on to other people. And it literally eats your flesh away. It's a flesh-eating disease. You said there was some this day and age? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's still, yeah. And there's a leprosy colony down in Louisiana. There used to be an island that they kept them on um, right outside of New York, I believe. Yep. Wow. Yep, and there's um there's there's a lot of leprosy still in uh, third world countries like India and 
over in the Far East, there's still a lot of people suffering from it. So it was a, it's a very highly contagious disease, and it's a skin disease. Um, and so um, back in that day, that was a big thing. Uh, and it says, the leper came and bowed down before him, before Jesus, and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean, right? Well, that's really neat that the, the leper approaches Jesus in that way. What does he say? If you are willing. What is the leper realizing? That it's, that it's up to Jesus, not up to him. And that's going to be important as we get further into the story. He says, if you are willing to make me clean, you can. So by kneeling before Jesus, what is he showing? Reverence. Reverence, Reverence. right. Um, one of the greatest proofs that Jesus is God in the flesh is that when people would bow down before him and worship him, he would receive their worship. One of the greatest proofs in the Bible that Jesus is truly God and truly the Son of God and truly God is that when people would bow before him, he would receive their worship. Well, why do I say that? Well, because Jesus is Jewish and Jesus never broke any of the Ten Commandments, did he? And what does the first commandment say? The Lord your God is a jealous God. You shall have no other gods before him, right? And the second commandment says what? You shall not bow down and worship any images or anything that is not God himself. Anything that is right? Heaven or earth. Right. Heaven or earth that, that is not God. And so when these people would bow before Jesus and he would receive their worship, if he were not God, what would he have told them? Get up. I'm just a man. You don't worship a man, you worship God. Matter of fact, in the Bible, a lot of times when the angels approach people, people would fall down before the angels. And what would the angels always say? Yeah, first they would say, fear not, because it's a terrifying thing to be approached by an angel. And then they would say, get up, right? Get up. You don't worship me. I'm a created being just like you are. The creation worships the creator. That, now, that's in the Bible somewhere. That, several places, and especially in the book of Revelation. When John falls before the angel who's given him the revelation, okay. he says, get up. We only worship God. You don't worship the creation. You worship the creator. He actually lifted him up. Mm-hmm. So... <clears throat> These guys, this guy comes to Jesus and he comes in reverence and he also comes in humility. He recognizes that he is sick and he recognizes that, number one, he is not the source of his healing. And he recognizes, too, that Jesus is the source of healing. It's very important for us to remember that we are not the source of fixing ourselves. That's God's work. We come to God recognizing our brokenness and he heals us. It's not, hey, Jesus, will you help me to help myself? Right? This guy does not say that. He doesn't say, hey, will you help me to heal myself? <laughs> he says, if you are willing, you can heal me. You see, you can heal me. And so, uh, again, remembering that leprosy is a very contagious disease. Look what it says. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing be cleansed, and immediately the leprosy uh, was cleansed. So Jesus reaches out and touches this man, right? And uh, that's amazing in itself because back in that day, well, let, let's just use the coronavirus thing that we're doing today, right? Y'all just heard me cough a minute ago. Probably three people in the room think, uh-oh, he got it. You need to put on a mask, right? Right? And and you go to a grocery store and, and you see somebody at the grocery store and they're coughing over the grocery and you go, man, they spread this thing. And so we know what it feels like to be contaminated or to 
fear contamination. Like we, what is it? When we as kids, you get the cooties, right? You don't want somebody <laughs> touching you, you get the cooties. And, and so the reality is. Jesus is perfect and he's uh, he's sinless and he's healthy he and he's, no he's whole. Right? Don't have any cooties. I don't know if that's ever been mentioned in a in a theology class that Jesus doesn't have cooties. But he, he he was pure and he's clean and he's sinless and he's spotless. He's the spotless Lamb of God, and yet Jesus was willing to reach out and touch a man with a disease that at that time never got healed. Okay, and so then he says this. Jesus said to him. See that you tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And when Jesus entered... Okay, so Jesus touched the man. He was immediately healed. And this is what Jesus said. I want you to go to the temple and I want you to offer to the priest. I want you to offer to the priest... The offering that Moses commanded as a testimony. Now, we do not have time to go into this right now today, but if you were to go back to the book of Leviticus, there is actually three whole chapters, I think it's three chapters, on cleansing lepers and cleansing your house when it gets leprosy. Even your house can get the disease in it. And and so what the, they had was Moses was given a, a, if you were healed of leprosy, if you were cleansed from leprosy, then you would go and you would offer a certain sacrifice at the tabernacle as thanksgiving to God for your leprosy. Well, Jesus tells this man to go and show the priest that he's been healed of his leprosy. And what is neat about that? That, yes, in the book of Leviticus, like 1,400 years, uh, well, not 1,400 years, but, uh, you know, 1,200 uh, years or so, before Jesus was ever born, the book of Leviticus had been written, and it was a description of what you're to do when somebody gets healed of leprosy. And the reality is, is nobody had been healed from leprosy since uh, Moses to Jesus. Nobody had ever been to the temple and offered the sacrifice that was required by the book of Leviticus. Why? Because nobody had been healed from leprosy. And so when Jesus comes in and heals this leper, there's several different little neat little things we can see there. Jesus wants the man to go to the temple and offer to the priest, uh, the, the, present the offering that Moses commanded. What does that show us? It shows us that Jesus is a firm believer that the Old Testament is scriptural. And the Old Testament is the Word of God. And that the Old Testament is God's will for man. And so that he, he is authenticating the commands in the book of Leviticus by telling this young man to go and present the offering. All right? A lot of times as Christians, especially as modern-day evangelicals, um, we have a tendency to, to foo-foo the Old Testament and say, oh, that stuff don't matter anymore. We're not in the Old Testament anymore. We're in the New Covenant. But the reality is, is the Old Testament is just as important as the New Testament because it speaks to us of Christ and who He is. And so, uh, you know, I think the latest survey I saw said, I think it's only about 12 to 14 percent of uh, Christians have actually read the Bible from cover to cover, that it's literally like only 12% of people who claim to be Christians who uh, are believers and followers of Jesus Christ have ever read the whole Bible. Only like 1 in 10 people. And so, and the reality is, is that 
Uh, I would say that it's probably less than that when it comes to the Old Testament Genesis to Malachi. I would say that probably only about 5% of Christians have actually read those because what happens is every year we try to read through the Bible in one year and about February we get to the book of Leviticus and then we give up and just jump straight to John chapter 3. You see, we don't want to deal with all of that hard stuff. But for those of you who have been a part of our class for for the past few years, y'all know we went through the book of Genesis and found Christ in the book of Genesis. We preached through the whole book and we had a good time in that class and and there's plenty to be learned uh, from all scripture all scripture is god breathing given by god for doctrine or reproof you see all of scripture is for us and so jesus tells this man to go and offer uh, this uh, uh, presentation present this offering that moses commanded so he's going to, he, he's basically going and he's putting a, you know, a little side rib punch into the priest, right? Why? Because the priest with all of their religion and all of their focus on, uh, uh, external religion, none of them had ever cured anybody of leprosy. And that's one of the things that they, they can't argue with. Like, y'all remember the story of Lazarus? Lazarus was raised from the dead, and when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, his enemies, those guys that had been following him, were trying to hurt him, said, all right, now we're going to have to kill Jesus and kill this Lazarus guy. Like, they wanted to kill Lazarus too. Why? Because he was living proof that Jesus was who he said he was. He raised him from the dead. And they were going to kill him too. They were going to kill both of them. And so uh, that that small story there uh, goes to show that God, uh, that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is uh, expressing the power of Messiah as the Savior. He has come in the world to seek and to save that which is lost. He had come to get, he's come to give uh, sight to the blind and uh, legs to the lame, right? And hope to the broken and, and new hearts to those who desperately need him and so uh the healing and hope and and these types of things are all just literally oozing out of him everywhere he goes he's bringing this beautiful declaration of who he is and so it's like um he's in adam's cursed world but right around him everything that he touches turns back to life and love and hope and peace and joy you see and so he's expressing the fact that he's Messiah. So let's look at the next miracle there in verses 5 through 13. It says this. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him. Now I want you all to pay attention to this because we're going to read the Luke story. And then the Luke story is going to have, it's going to almost sound like it contradicts itself. But scripture does not contradict itself. Do you have something, Lori? No, no, no. Okay. All right. So the centurion. Uh, when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home and fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he does. And to another one come and he comes and to my slave do this and he does it now when jesus heard this he marveled and said to those who were following truly i say to you i have found not such a great faith with anyone in israel all right so let's look at that whole passage here together and then we're going to um, jump over to the loop number one it says that the uh, he was in capernaum remember capernaum is where jesus was from Jesus lived in a place called Capernaum. It's about 60 miles north of Jerusalem. 
And it's where the Sea of Galilee is. Remember, all of his disciples were fishermen. And so he did most of all of his ministry up in Capernaum. That's where he did most of his miracles and things. When he would come 60 miles down to Jerusalem to the temple, that was when he would always get stoned or people trying to hurt him or people trying... You see? So when he would come down to the center and the hub of all of the Jewish religious uh, world... Uh, it was when he would get more rejection and yet he would go back out to Capernaum and people were receiving him and believing him there. So he's in Capernaum and it says that a centurion uh, came to him imploring him. What does it mean to implore? Beg. To beg, right? And, and so he is basically recognizing that he needs Jesus and he says that um, he has... He's a centurion, which means he's a Roman soldier. A centurion would be someone who is in charge of a, a hundred uh, soldiers. Uh, like a platoon. Like a platoon. Uh, and so uh, he, he would have some persuasion in to see. We're going to have to actually find out in a minute that he is a believer and that he is a very good guy. But it says the centurion came to him and implored him, mm-hmm. saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home and fearfully tormented. So he has a servant. He has someone that works for him at home who is... Hmm? I just wanted to let everybody know I already signed them in. Okay. He is um, paralyzed and at home and fearfully torn. So what did you say? Well, I'll come and heal him. And uh, the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. So not only is he imploring, which means he's begging, but now he is saying that his home is not even good enough for Jesus to come to. What does that show us about the faith? Man? He has faith. Well, he does have faith because he's sending the people to get to Jesus. But what does it what does it show by him saying, "I'm not worthy for you to even come in my house"? He knew who he was. He's a sinner. Huh? Yeah, he's a sinner. He knew he was a sinner, but it yeah, that's true. And it shows that he's humble. He's not looking. He's not looking down at Jesus, expecting him to do this because he asked him to do it. Oh, right. He's looking he up he to Jesus. Right. He's looking up to Jesus recognizing that he is the one in true authority. Well, that's needed because this guy is a soldier who has a bunch of men up under him and he's used to telling them what to do and they, they follow his orders without question, you see. Well, and so great pains to put that in there so we can yeah, understand. That's exactly right. So he is not looking down at Jesus, giving orders to Jesus. He's looking up to Jesus in faith and in hope that Jesus will, will, will give him orders, you see. Well, we'll give him orders. And so he says, the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy to come under your roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say go, and he goes, and another come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. All right, so what is he saying? Look, I know that when you have authority and you tell people to do stuff, they do it. I understand that, and I am recognizing that you are the ultimate authority. I'm recognizing that you are an authority over me, so you tell me what to do. You don't have to come to me. Just tell me what to do, and I know that my servant will be healed, right? Well, well, his servant is going to be healed. There's another point there, too, that he... This man of authority was caring that much about his servant that he would go. Very good. And as a slave, too. And that's something, you know, um, slavery has a terrible stigma, as it should. But back in this time, during biblical times, slavery was not about race. That's very important for us to hear. It wasn't a black-white thing. It was an economic thing. Okay? 
It was your, if you had a lot of money, it didn't matter what nationality, race, color, creed you was from, you would own slaves. Uh, probably 80% of the population at that time was slaves of some sort. Because what would happen was you would be poor and you couldn't live, and so you would go to someone who had money and they would take you into their home and take care of you and make you their servant. All right? And so it wasn't about race then, it was about economy. It was about if you had money or not. Uh, right, and so what you'll see in this is this man cares about his servant. There's a care there. And not only that, in the Old Testament when we read about slavery, um, you won't find any writings in, in, in any, any of the other cultures where God commanded the people to love and to take care of their servants, the people that work for them, to make sure that they had food, make sure that they were taken care of, to make sure that you didn't treat them unfairly, right? If you lost your temper with your servant and you punched him in the mouth and knocked his tooth out, then you had to let the man go and set him free because of his tooth. Like, in other words, there was justice involved in it. And, and there was also stipulation in the Old Testament where if a, uh, if a slave, uh, worked for you for, at the end of seven years, uh, at the end of six years, at the beginning of the seventh year, um, if the slave did not, you had to offer the slave his freedom. He could, you couldn't keep him for over seven years. And if, he neglected that. If he said, no, I want to stay here. You take good care of me. I love you. My family here, you know, he's got a wife and kids there too. He's like, no, I want to remain. Then there's actually stipulations where he would get a, a hole punched in his ear and basically saying that I belong to this guy and I love him and I want to stay here. So there was actually at that time slaves that wanted to remain as in a servant status. For you and I today, it would be very similar to me getting to where I couldn't pay my bills and I was bankrupt. And I would have to go to someone who had money that could bail me out. And then I would be their, their servant until I could pay off my debt. You see, I would work for them. And, and the truth of the matter is, is all of us in this room are slaves to the economic system. We all have debit cards and like we all have mortgages. And, and you see what I mean? Like we all of it, we owe somebody something and they control us. Right. Yeah. You got to serve somebody. Right. So he says, uh, so he says, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said, truly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. Now, that's important. Because he has 11, 12 disciples with him right now that are Israelites. What do I mean? What does I mean by I say they're Israelites? They're Jewish. All right? So is he saying that? And what he's saying is, is this guy is a Roman centurion, which means he is not a son of who? Abraham. Abraham. He's a Gentile. This guy is a Gentile, and Jesus is saying, this man has got more faith than anybody I've met in Israel. Right. Does that include his disciples? Yeah, well, that's what it. That's what it says. I have not found such a great a faith with anyone in Israel. Oh, right. No. Now, what does that show us? Well, remember that a lot of people tend to forget this, but from Adam to Abraham, there was no such thing as a Jew. All right, that's fourteen hundred years worth of civilization, and there was no Jewish people. And God had believers and followers from Adam was a believer. Noah was, right? Noah was a believer. Seth, Enoch. There was a lot of faithful people that had faith, saving faith, that went to heaven that were before there was ever such a thing as the Jewish people. It was only when Abraham came along that God devoted his love and his protection and his concern to one group of people. Right? 
And that's important. God chose out of all of the nations of the world, he chose the nation of Israel. He chose Abraham's kids. All right? And so from the time of Abraham to the time of Jesus, it was all about the Jewish people. Remember, the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites and all those ites in the Old Testament, they never heard the gospel message, did they? It was only his people that got to hear the message. And he closed in that that uh, grace around that group of people for all of those years to protect them so that the Savior of the world could come into the world to save. Through that line. Through, through the Jewish people. Now remember... What did the Jews do at the cross? The, Jew, the nation of Israel rejected their Messiah. He had come to seek and to save them, right? He reje- they rejected him, and so what did he do? He turned to who? To the Gentiles. He turned to the Gentiles. And so what we need to remember is there's lots and lots of believers and saved people that are in heaven today that were from the time of Adam to Abraham. Like there's a lot of people that in God's grace he reached out to and saved that were never Jewish. They were never circumcised because there was no such thing as the, the, the Jews. For 1,400 years, there was all these people that God was saving. Then, in, in a certain dispensation, he, he closed that grace in on a group of people. Now, as you read through the Old Testament, do you ever hear of anybody getting saved that was not Jewish in the Old Testament? Yes. Can you all think of anybody that was not Jewish that became believers? Anybody? Can y'all think of anybody? Some of the ones that followed the children of Israel. Good, good, good. That's exactly right. Um, uh, And not only that, how about Rahab? Remember Rahab? Rahab? The harlot. Right? What about um, what about Ruth? Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite, wasn't she? She wasn't Jewish, but she said, "Where you go, I'll go, and your God will be my God." Remember? And so, all through the Old Testament, there are examples of Gentiles that were saved. But the focus is on the Jewish people. Why? Because that is the line that the Messiah was going to come through. And when we get into the New Testament, when we get into the New Testament and we get into the life of Jesus, slowly but surely, more and more Gentiles are starting to come in. There's one passage in the book of John uh, where Philip and Andrew bring some Greeks to Jesus. And Jesus won't see them. He says... The time is coming, you know, but it's not yet. And so what does that show us? It shows us that the message of the gospel was already, as Jesus was preaching, was already leaking out into the Gentile nations. Like the gospel was already going out and people were starting to hear about this Messiah. And so what's happening is as soon as they nail Jesus to the cross, as soon as the Jewish people reject him, what happens at Pentecost? The gospel goes out where? So uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uh, Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, and all of the earth, right? And so what happened? Once they planted Jesus in the ground, that seed then burst forth and went all over the world. And so with this guy here, it's an example of a Gentile who is already getting the message of the gospel that is a believer and a follower of Christ. And we'll see more of his story here in just a second. So... Um, let's really quickly. I do need you to keep your place there, but let's go really quickly and go over to the book of Luke and look at chapter seven. Uh, uh, Luke chapter seven, verses one through ten. All right. So Luke seven, one through ten, and we're going to see a little bit 
of a difference in Luke's account and Matthew's account. A little bit of a difference. All right? Let's look at uh, everybody there. Luke 7, verse 1 to 10. When he had completed all of his discourse in the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum. All right? Well, there's a difference right there, isn't it? What did Matthew say when he came down off the mountain? And what is Luke saying when he finished the preaching? So both of them are showing us that he had just finished the Sermon on the Mount, and now he has come down. And where is he headed? To Capernaum. All right? A centurion slave who was highly regarded by him was sick and about to die. Uh, he went to Capernaum. A centurion slave who was highly regarded by him was sick and about to die. When he heard about Jesus, all right, that's important. You hear about Jesus. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. So in this story, it's saying that Luke sent, that the centurion sent some of his servants or some Jewish elders from his town. So it's not the, in this story, it looks like it's not the centurion that comes to Jesus, it's the Jewish elders. And they come to Jesus and ask him to come and save the life of his slave. When they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this to him. All right. So these Jewish people are speaking up for this Gentile. And what do they say? He's worthy. Why? When they came, they said, He is worthy, for he loves our nation, and it was he who built us our synagogue. Right? So what do we know about the centurion? He loves the Jewish people, right? And what did, what did, what was the promise to Abraham all the way back in the New Testament? I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. Right? And what does he say? They said, this guy is worthy. He loves us, and he built a synagogue for us. So what does that show us? He has a love for the Jewish people, and more, more than likely that he has a love for Christ. And he sent these men to him. Now, Jesus started on his way with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I'm not worthy to come under your roof. So these stories kind of, there's a little bit of clash there, isn't it? In in Matthew's story, it sounds like it was the centurion himself who came to Jesus. And in this story, it said he sent some Jewish elders to him. Then they turn around and start to head to the guy's house. And the centurion finds out that they're on the way to the house. And then he sends someone out and stops and said, no, you're not, I'm not even worthy for you to have you in my house. So how can we reconcile that? Well, what we would know is, is that when he sent the elders to speak to Jesus, they were representative of him. You see? Which would have been respect in the way it was done back then. That's exactly right. And not only that, but Jesus was Jewish and the Gentiles and the Jews but didn't have anything to do with it. I have a hard time understanding is the elders were always against Jesus. So did they? Not all of them. That's not true. Um, many of them were. That's true. But what are these guys? These, these elders are the elders of a synagogue. Which is a local community center or a local, it would be very similar to what our churches are, our local churches are today. And so these elders had a synagogue and they were like, look, this guy's our friend. Like he literally built us a synagogue. Like he built us a place of worship. And, and so, um, uh, for, 
he says in verse 8, For I am a man placed under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to this one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes, and to my slave, Do this, and he does it. Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him, and turned and said to the crowd following, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. All right, so we want to mention one more thing here, and then we'll go back to the uh, Matthew passage and and finish up. When it says that when those who uh, had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health, that shows us something about Jesus. In the first story, in the first story, uh, Jesus touched the leper, and what happened to the leper? He was healed. So in that story, the healing took place in a personal, uh, upfront, hands-on situation. But in this story, Jesus is on the way to the man's house. The man sends somebody out and said, no, don't come here. I'm not even worthy to have you under my roof. Right? And what happens? Jesus, Jesus doesn't go. Jesus doesn't go. Wake up. And when he doesn't go, the man is still healed. So what does that show us about Jesus? He doesn't have to be there to heal. That's exactly right. He, his, his, um, his father has given him the power to heal, and he doesn't necessarily have to be in the room with you to heal you. Um, it's kind of a, uh, now Jesus is in the flesh, and he can't be in a thousand places at one time. But in spirit, he, in spirit, the Holy Spirit can heal wherever. And so Jesus prays for the man, the man is healed. And, and Jesus never even had to go in and put his eyes on the man. And that's, um, that's hopeful for me and you, isn't it? Because Jesus, uh, of course, his Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit is in the room with us today, um, as we gather together in spirit and in truth. Uh, but Jesus, we don't see Jesus physically sitting here in the room with us. But it's good to know that he is interceding for us as a high priest right now and that he doesn't have to be in the room with us in order to intercede for us. He's sitting at the right hand of his father and yet he's still like as our high priest praying for us and interceding for us. Uh, that's who he is. And so he don't have to exactly be in the same room. So um, now I want to go back to the, um, the Matthew passage and we're going to look at just a couple more things and then we'll wrap up the class today. Uh, so in Math- we were in Matthew 8. Let's look at um, verse 10, 11, 12, and 13. So Jesus heard this. He marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great a faith with anyone in Israel. All right. Now, I want to focus on 11, 12, 11 and 12 for a few minutes. Jesus said to them, I say to you that many. How many is many? It's many. A lot, right? <laughs> many is a lot. Right. Um, if you want to put a number to it, it would be something like um, more than the stars in the sky or more than the sands on the seashore. Remember how God promised Abraham? He said that you would have children and your children, your, your, your children will exceed the number of stars in the sky or the grains of sand on the seashore. So uh, Jesus said many will come from east and west. What does that mean to say from east and west? Well, at that time, and as Jesus is speaking, for the Jewish people, what is the center of the universe? Where does God dwell with his people? On this earth. Yeah, it is on earth, but where? At that time, 
In the temple. And where was the temple? In Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is literally and the, the, the temple mount, the temple, and where the temple is, because God is dwelling with his people there, or it's supposed to be, right? Because God is dwelling there, to the Jewish mind, the center of the universe is where that temple stands. That's where the center of the universe is. And so when it says many will come from east and west, what is it saying? What is it what what do you think Jesus is referring to here? East and West, meaning Jews and Gentiles. Well, uh, it means people from the east of here and west of here. All the way there. Right? But not just from Jerusalem. Good. So, so he's saying that there is another group of people that are going to come from east and west. All right? So keep your finger there on that passage. And let's go really quickly over to John chapter 10. I want to show you something in John chapter 10. Oh, you can do it. These, these aren't hard to find. All right. Um, let, let me get there. Let me see. I need somebody eight years old to show me this. Let's see. I told you. <laughs> oh my sorry, goodness. John. I don't I don't have my Bible here, so I'm gonna have a hard time. Let's see. It's in, it's in John ten. Okay. Yeah, John chapter ten and ver let's look at verse fourteen. John chapter ten, verse fourteen. I am the good shepherd. This is Jesus speaking. I am the good shepherd. Right? The Lord is my shepherd. Who is the Lord? Jesus. And so Jesus is the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Even as my father knows me and I know the father and I lay my life down for my sheep. Who does Jesus die for? His sheep. I lay my life down for my sheep. I have other sheep. Now this is where I want you to see in 16. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice. And they will become one flock with one shepherd. Mm-hmm. So what is Jesus saying? I'm the good shepherd. I have other sheep mm-hmm. that are not of this fold. Now, what is the fold that he's talking about? The Jewish fold. I, yeah, I have other sheep that are not Jewish. Who are those sheep? The Gentile sheep. Right. They're not goats. They're sheep. Remember we said this last week. Sheep cannot become goats. And goats cannot become sheep. Sheep. There's no such thing as a, a shoat. All right, a sheep and a goat mixed together, mm-hmm. or a geep. Right, you don't make those kind of right, right. So if you are a sheep, you are a sheep. And what he's saying is, I lay my life down for my sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Right, there are black sheep, and there are white sheep, and there are spotted sheep, and there are speckled sheep, and there are striped sheep, and all kind of colored sheep, black sheep and red sheep, all kind of sheep. But I have other sheep that are not of this fold, that are not Jewish, that are not of the Jewish fold. And I will call them and they will come and then we will be one flock with one shepherd. Now go back to the passage in Abraham where God promised him that his children would be more than what? All of the sands of the seashore or all of the stars in the sky. What is he saying? This is my fold. My fold are the children that have the faith of Abraham. You don't have to be circumcised to be a child of God. You have to have the faith of Abraham. To be a child of God. What did Abraham believe in? He believed in the coming Messiah. 
You see? And so when Jesus says that I have other sheep, look at 16 again, I have other sheep which are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. All of God's people, all of those that the sheep laid his life down for, will come together and be one flock. Why? Because he's the good shepherd. He laid his life for them down, laid his life down for them, and the good shepherd does not lose sheep. Jesus is not on the final day going to be standing in heaven pulling his hair out and going, Oh, there's Johnny in hell, and I meant for him to be saved. And he 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 didn't get saved. Because if someone if one of his sheep go to hell, that means that the good shepherd lost a sheep. And the good shepherd doesn't lose sheep. He He doesn't lose a single one. So that means whoever went to hell... Okay, this is a stupid question. (laughs) Whoever went to hell may have appeared to be part of this fold, but they really were not. They were goats that appeared as sheep. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. They were were a golden sheep. And remember what we learned at Judgment Day. What what is the first judgment that happens at first? What was the first judgment that happened on Judgment Day? He separates the sheep from the goats. The goats go to the left, sheep go to the right. He separates them. He divides them out. And the good shepherd knows what is you going to go to, right? Yeah. You and I, can, we have a hard time telling sometimes. <laughs> because sometimes we, we get attracted over to the goat pen, like, right? We chase after goats. And, uh, yeah, I'm tired of goat yeah, pen. Yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's very bad. <laughs> yeah, that's terrible. That's a terrible thing. All right. So now let's go back. Let's go back to Matthew and finish up. Let's go back to Matthew and finish up. Matthew chapter 8. All right, y'all there? Um, usually when you have a Bible like that, usually it has a back thing, and you can just hit that little arrow backwards, and it'll go back to the old passage. All right, so let's look. It says, I say to you, many will come from the east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob in the where? Kingdom of heaven. That's important. I say to you, many will come from the east. Matthew chapter 8, verse 11, 12, and 13. Matthew 8, 11, 12, and 13. Got it? Okay. I say to you that many will come from the east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So what is the table that he's talking about that they're going to be reclining with Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham? Y'all remember the, the marriage supper of the Lamb? Remember on the last day how we're going to, remember Jesus promised us every time you take communion, what did he say? I'm not going to take this with you until we are all together in heaven. And then we will have the marriage supper. We'll have the, 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 the wedding banquet, if you will. When all of God's people will join together in one big giant banquet and celebrate with Jesus for what he's done for us. right? And so what is he saying? He's saying, I say to you, a lot of people come and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Right? That's another term for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, it all means the same thing. It's all of the king's domain. And what he's saying there is that the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what nationality is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Jewish. Jewish. It says that many people are going to come from the east and west and recline at the table with the Jewish people, the Jewish believers. Right? Because Saul and, and Judas and them are going to be burning in hell with the rest of the rejected Gentiles. Just because you were a son of Abraham does not mean that you are going to heaven. Just because you're Jewish does not mean you're going to heaven. Right? And it's in the right. same way, in the, the same way that just if. That and it's very sad. Huh? 
a lot of Jewish folks misinterpret that. Yep. They think because they're Jewish. Yep. That's exactly right. They're they're dependent on their physical There's nature, a their physical that they have in the Jewish sense of if not us, then who? Yep. Yep. And so uh, we have to remember that Jesus' work on the cross was for his people and his people from all nations, uh, tribes, and tongues. And that's very important for us to remember because Jesus is established king. Now look what it said in verse 12. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So look what it says. It says that from the east and the west, people will recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, right? But the sons of the kingdom will be cast into the outer darkness. So what is the sons of the kingdom? The kingdom of Israel, the, the physical nation of Israel. There's He said, see what he says? There are going to be, uh, but son, the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness. So there's many people who are, are depending upon their physical descent as a way to get them to heaven, and they're going to wind up in hell because they're not trusting in Jesus, they're trusting in himself. So he says there will be a weeping and a gnashing of teeth. Now I have a little note wrote down for you guys. The combination of gnashing with teeth frequently um, is frequently throughout the book of Matthew and it's a reference to hell. And there's also plenty of um, references to gnashing teeth in the Old Testament as well. So the weeping and gnashing of teeth, the outer darkness is uh, a metaphor for hell. What does it mean to gnash your teeth? You're in pain and anger and rebellion and hurt. And unrest. Right, right. And yeah. And so there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in the outer darkness. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. And that day the servant was healed, that very moment. Okay? So what did we learn about today? We learned about the fact that the kingdom of God is being established before our very eyes. And that Jesus is the, the, the one who is establishing that kingdom. And that he is reaching out and establishing that kingdom by showing that he is who he says he is. By doing the miracles and the teachings that he's doing. And that this that already, you know, years before, a couple years before he even goes to the cross... Um, already uh, the message of the kingdom is starting to attract in people from the east and the west as well. And we'll finally see that at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes down and is poured out and the Holy Spirit empowers the believers to do what? To go out to all of the people in the east and the west. And the reason that you and I today in this room are believers is because the apostles went and did what they were commanded to do. They went out and shared the gospel with somebody. And it would be neat one day when you get to heaven, you'd probably be able to, to look back on your spiritual family tree. You know what I mean? Like there was someone who God used to share the gospel with you and you became a believer. And then there was someone who shared the gospel with them and they became believers. And then they shared it with someone. And, right? and then you could go all the way back and you'll find out that one of the apostles is like your, your ancestors, one of the apostles... Peter, James, John, somebody went and shared the gospel with somebody, and that's where that like would it would be really neat to see your your spiritual tree and where your sal- you know how your salvation worked out through history and through time. It'll be a neat thing. So I hope that everybody enjoyed the class today, and uh, let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Y'all have a good week. Remember, this is a dark world. Um, we need to be light, and that we need to help other people to see Christ. So go and do that, okay? Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for this wonderful mess- message, wonderful message of hope. And just knowing that you loved us enough, uh, a people unworthy for you to even come under our roof, that we were uh, 
blessed to be saved and to know your salvation and to know your love and your grace and your mercy. And my prayer is that you will help us to all appreciate what it is that you did for us so that we can know you and that we'll take that gift of salvation, that we'll take your truth and your word out to a world that desperately needs you and help us to find uh, your call for our lives and help us to share uh, your love and your truth and your light uh, with others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.